Hello, and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today, we're talking about probably the last movie we're going to discuss from 2019 on the podcast. It just took a while to get out here, and that's Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And I'm happy to be joined by my friend Ben Lubin to talk about this one, who's back for the first time, I think, since we talked about Best Picture winner Parasite. So, Ben, uh, good vibes all around. Yeah, no, it's. Uh, I have a feeling this probably won't be a Best Picture winner anytime soon, but... Uh, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about this one. It's one of my favorites from last year. So, Yeah, I know. It really kind of screwed with me, too, because, you know, I, I, I went and saw it again, and I liked it even more the second time. And I, at first, I was like, ah, I don't feel so bad. I didn't uh, put it on my best, my top 10 of last year. And then I did feel kind of bad after I watched it again. And I did this podcast where I had people give their top 10s. And I was like, oh, man, like, I know I feel kind of bad about this. And now I got to, like, go like, rethink everything I spent all of last year ranking things. And ugh. But, uh, but no, Portugal. Yeah, no, thanks, thanks to uh, LA Privilege, I was, like, one of the few people I know who was able to, like, actually, actually put this yeah, in my legitimately list have it in your before list. I formalized it. So. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, Portrait of Lady on Fire is the, I want to say, newest film from French filmmaker Céline Sciamma, but it's not exactly that new because it debuted at Cannes last year, I guess almost 10 months ago, probably. It's a movie that's set in 18th century France. The story begins as we follow a painter, Marianne, as she is commissioned off to a remote part of France to paint a portrait of a young woman named Heloise, who was recently, who's recently done a stint in a convent and whose mother has promised her to be married to a man in Milan, but as this is the 18th century, the, the man requires uh, proof that he uh, actually wants to marry this woman, so he needs a painting done of her, and uh, Elise's mom has hired one painter to paint her. She refused to sit for the, or pose for the portrait because she doesn't actually want to go marry some guy she doesn't know understandable marianne comes in and uh has to try and paint her without having her pose for her and has to actually spend time with her and try and study her and learn her and paint her in secret and uh, they grow closer and uh, a bond performs deeper and turns into a romance of sorts and that's just kind of the beginning of it because this is a really this film has just a lot going on in it both uh with its story and its performances and its style and uh so much more and i'm, I'm almost overwhelmed about where to start ben so i guess the first thing i'll ask you is because i know it was one of your favorite movies of last year is there i think uh, what what i'll say first is i I talked to a friend before i saw it and i was like he put on instagram that he was at the movie and i i I commented and i was like oh man i'm seeing that tomorrow he's like every shot of it looks like a painting and i was like uh i don't even really know what that means uh that sounds interesting though i'm i'm already excited to see it and then like within like 20 minutes into the movie like i totally got what he meant so that's just a a shorthand way of saying like this movie looks incredible and that's only like the half of it because it has so much more going for it uh was there one thing about this movie when you left it that resonated with you more than anything else was it the cinematography was it the story was it the message uh what really like struck you the most after you had your viewing of this movie so the cinematography is definitely something that left a massive impact and like not just because it was incredibly well done or beautiful or just impressively filmed like this is a very intentional use of style and that's something i i, I definitely want to kind of get into in, in more depth later but i think the thing that really struck me with the movie and actually weirdly enough why it took a little while into it for me to really love it as much as i ended up loving it is how almost playful it is like the, it felt at, at first when I, was, when I was watching the movie, I went into it with very almost like absurdly unreachable expectations. I had heard so much about it. I was like, okay, this is going to be a massive, like generational achievement. I'm going to love this movie so much. And so when within kind of the first 20 minutes, I really wasn't as in love with it as I thought it would be. But kind of slowly over the course of the movie, it almost felt like the movie was like seducing me and tricking me and kind of little by little revealing more and more of itself. It, like, it felt like the movie was playing a game with me. And it was a game that, that I was being forced to participate in too. It wasn't just like I was watching this very clever movie unfold itself. It was almost playing with how I was perceiving it and kind of subverting that expectation and leading me on and it it was just a really bizarre and really unusually gripping experience watching a movie what do you say that is it because it's like it's like making you root for these characters to uh actually find each other but it does it in such a deliberate way that you're kind of taken with their story or do you mean more technically in other ways that it kind of reveals itself 
It's a mix of the two. Like yeah. here, here, here's an example. Yeah. Um, when when we're kind of watching the like the characters kind of grow attracted to each other, part like they're it's almost kind of a game of the gestures. Each character kind of revealing little by little, kind of putting a bit of themselves out there, and the other responding sometimes in a way that kind of shows her desire, but sometimes almost kind of not quite giving the other like woman like what what she wants. And it's kind of almost a game between these two characters and drawing the other one out little by little until eventually we have kind of the moment of consummation on when the characters kind of reveal the depth of their feelings for each other. And I think in a lot of ways, the movie does the same thing with its audience. Little by little, it kind of reveals just it's, it's weird. And it's kind of a it's a bizarre movie to explain. And I think it's. Again, a movie that benefits not by, like, really trying to over-explain it. Yeah. But it's just, it's a movie that it almost kind of frustrates you at times by not quite giving you everything you want and eventually just kind of, for me, leading me to the place where I was so invested in the beauty of the feeling these people have for each other and the really just kind of lush and at the same time, restrained way the movie reveals those feelings. Yeah, I, th- I think it's funny that you called it bizarre because one of the things that really, like, I still liked it the first time I saw it, but like I said, I think I loved it the second time. And uh, part of it was because, you know, again, I really loved the way it looked. I loved the performances, but there were just moments that on that first viewing that were, like, really perplexing to me. And, you know, like, I'm thinking specifically of the abortion scene. And I was yeah. like, what the hell is going on here? Why is there a baby rolling around in here? Why is why why are they like uh, all of a sudden trying to recreate it? I, I, it just it, it went over my head on the first viewing. And on top of that, like you said, the movie does kind of tease you and uh, doesn't necessarily give you what you want. I mean, you kind of know from the very first scene of the movie that these people aren't going to end up together. But at the same time, you are kind of want, you want them to be happy. And it makes it really hard to get to that point. And I, I'd heard some critics say maybe it was after I watched it the first time because I didn't read too much about it going in. They're like, oh, it it maybe doesn't like kind of buck any on a kind of heteronormative traditional story arc that you might hope it's going to buck in the way it ultimately at the end, and it, mainly I guess alluding to the fact they don't they don't end up, to get, end up together. And I and I and I saw the movie the second time, and I'm like, okay, maybe it's not going to give you like that totally of. Uh, uh, unconventional story ending because like it's the 1800s are these two people women are really going to go live happily ever after I, di- I didn't necessarily have that expectation but I guess maybe some people wanted that and when I yeah, saw I'm, also, I'm, 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 I'm sorry but like that I, that's not really a criticism I've heard too much of but I think it's like one that's pretty blatantly absurd no 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 no. i don't even think i'd heard it i mean i think it was almost like a straw man that other people were bringing up in their reviews okay and and so i i it was just something that was on my mind as i saw it again i don't think i saw people i mean this movie's gotten great reviews i don't think they've made it in good faith that much but i i kind of had that in my head as i was watching it's like all right i get it like that's not going to be the ending but uh what else is this movie going to give me and you're, you're talking about how bizarre it is and how hard it would be to explain if you try to go explain that abortion scene to someone like you probably sound like a crazy person if you're just trying to like actually describe what it looked like and then I actually kind of got it on the second time on my second viewing where I thought like, you know, like, yeah, this is weird. But now I totally get it because they made the comment earlier in the movie when Eloise asks uh, Marianne, uh, do you paint men? And she says, uh, no, they, they don't let us do that because they want to keep us from p- creating great art. And that's like a space that they just don't let female artists into. And then I, I was like, oh, wow. Like Eloise like understands her so deeply and understands what's so valuable to her in life that like she sees this abortion as a opportunity to capture something that's like uh, not open that's that's like just men are not privy to and it's like a it, they can create powerful art in that moment and it's something that like men are not going to be allowed to have and just by being a whole movie that like really lacks much male presence at all aside from like a couple of like five second shots basically like it kind of shows how like these women can like actually. Uh, take control of their life and uh, live a more free life. And I want to talk about just the idea of freedom too, in general, because that's something that gets talked about a lot. And, but like at the same time, like there are just small moments in this movie where, uh, whether it be just them cooking or them playing that card game where it's like, Oh wow. Like you don't see women like be like this in period costume dramas normally. Well, no, I mean, one of the things that Scanlon creates is a purely female space. Yes. Um, and I think a big part of kind of what we're seeing is the way that kind of when 
women are in purely female spaces, they're able to kind of redefine themselves Mm -hmm. and redefine how they form relationships, redefine how they kind of understand art, how they understand connection. We're basically not like, it's not just kind of a space without men. It's a space without kind of elements of patriarchal society, Mm -hmm. without kind of the things in society itself that are often hindering and oppressive to women. There, actually, one one thing just I, I want to kind of explain about something I said earlier, though. Yeah. When, when I say bizarre, it's not that what, – what I mean by that isn't that the movie is, like, strange or even especially surreal. More of what it is is there is something I think very bizarre and frust- and kind of beautifully frustrating about f- love and flirtation. And I think something – that is at the core of desire is something that we don't understand is it's the curiosity. It's the want to know more. It's the want to understand more the want to kind of connect to another person who you don't fully understand, but are somehow drawn to. And I think something this movie captures really well is desire as a combination of something alluring, but also something frustratingly hard to understand. Yeah, I was gonna say um, furtive. That was the that was a word that was coming to my head. Yeah, that's that's a that's a good word for it. But I, I guess kind of something that I, I wanted to talk about is is you mentioned just kind of how this this movie. I mean, it's not much of a spoiler really, but it doesn't end with the two characters together. Uh, I mean, we know from basically the beginning of the movie, even if we didn't know from kind of every piece of marketing and kind of every other movie that kind of explores similar subject matter, these characters are probably not going to end up together. But I think part of what is so beautiful about the movie and what does connect to the notion of a painting, which is a closed space, is the beauty in something fragmented and hermetically sealed in time. A painting doesn't endure. It's not... A painting is not cinema. Um, it doesn't continue for a period of time. It is a closed moment in time. There is no before and no after. But there is something beautiful in that closed moment. The fact that there is no continuance from that moment doesn't make it any less beautiful and it doesn't make it any less meaningful. Well, I was going to say, before we started talking, you kind of talked about the fact that like the, the first time Marianne paints Eloise, like, Eloise just clearly doesn't like it. How does that would would you say that that point that you were making when we talked about that about how she, it's it's not it's not as personal to her at that point she doesn't know her as well does that say something about the moment in time the the, the different moments in time in which we are audience to in this movie I mean yeah I, I would say kind of the the first time uh, Marianne paints Eloise she is almost kind of willfully forcing herself not to become too familiar with her subject That's because at this point yeah. I hadn't thought about that way yeah no I mean because at that point it's very clear that there's an attraction mm-hmm. and it's very clear that the attraction is painful especially because she knows that you know she's betraying her kind of yeah she's betraying her and that doing her job means it's kind of sending this woman off to marry someone else because I guess for those who haven't seen the movie kind of her her job like she, she uh, Marianne is painting Heloise so her portrait can be sent to the man Heloise is meant to marry because Heloise hasn't met her, I guess, fiance, and he needs to see a painting of her to know that she's beautiful enough to marry. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I guess at this point, like during the first painting, um, and despite kind of this feeling of attraction is kind of forcing herself to not give into it and not really get to know Heloise in the way she wants, despite the fact that it's very clearly happening whether she wants it to or not. And, I mean, the second, the second painting, at that point, I mean, they have had this beautiful, passionate moment of love and passionate moment of, I think, very real connection. And it's a much more honest and much clearer representation of Heloise as she actually is. Not 
Eloise as dictated by the style of portraiture at the time, Mm -hmm. which I think is very much what that first painting is. Yeah, and I guess Um, and even them being able to – once her once Eloise's mom leaves them for a while, I think as we're talking about when they're getting to exist in that purely uh, uh, male-free space or – uh, female space or however you want to phrase it maybe that that allows her to even like learn a little bit more about who she is and she's uh letting her guard down in a different way than we see in that first half of the movie and in a way like that's part of it getting to know her better too and allowing them to uh paint her better yeah with kind of the absence of the mother there's less kind of less of a of an obstacle less of kind of like an actual force in the world mm-hmm on stopping kind of the familiarity and kind of as these kind of female spaces, like, because, I mean, it's so it's been about two months since I've seen the movie. Um, So you may have to kind of correct me if if I'm wrong on a few things, but they don't, I guess, fully give into, I guess, their feelings until after both the abortion sequence and the, uh, I guess, the, the gathering of, of witches, basically. Um, well, it's it's between the two. Or, uh, I mean, is after the gathering of witches because it was the, when when the uh, God, I'm forget I'm forgetting the the housekeeper's name. Oh, uh, Sophie. When Sophie comes to, it's the morning after they first made love. When Sophie like tries to get her go, goes to get them because uh, Marianne's promise she'll go with her to the abortion. And that's so, right. Okay. Right. So it's kind of between that, but it's mean that 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 scene when they are around the fire is uh talk about some incredible shots that are seared into your memory uh oh, that, yeah. that, that's right there with the with the rest of them um i want to be clear like it's not a literal gathering of witches but like that's kind of the implication yeah. and it's it's and that's like witches as kind of drawn from kind of like witches as kind of gatherings of like women and female energy and blah blah blah, blah. but yeah okay so i knew i knew, was pretty sure it was after the gathering but that is a moment that it is Again, a space totally free from male society. Um, and I do think that it is fairly important that, like, it's only after that moment that they're, that they're able to kind of give into their feelings. It, yeah. I, I, I don't know where, where you think the best time to talk about it would be, but I was curious if you – because one thing we hadn't talked about before we started recording was just the uh, – how there's a the, the long sequence in the movie where they actually talk about the story of uh, of Orpheus and Eurydice. Eurydice, yeah, and uh, that was that was another thing that even resonated with me a lot more in a second viewing because I was just like it came out of nowhere really fast, and I was just like having trouble processing it because like my my Greek mythology knowledge is just like not that great these days, you know. And okay, it, I am a massive Greek mythology. Nerd. Yeah, I, 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 I had a, I had a feeling you were going to say that, and uh, and so. I don't know in what in what in relation to what other part of the movie you think the best time to have that discussion is, but how, what did you think about how that device was used and how it spoke to what we watched the rest of the movie? Oh no, I'd love to talk about it now. Yeah. Um, and I think it actually connects to what I was talking about earlier, uh, kind of the painting as a closed and hermetically sealed moment. Right. Um, yeah, because he's. I mean, the, the, yeah, that, that's a that makes that, that does make sense. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So I mean. The kind of kind of the the way they kind of explore uh, Orpheus and Eurydice in in the movie, um, it ultimately raises the notion that Orpheus choosing to look back at Eurydice was not um, because he was dumb. It was not because he was dumb. It was not a lack of faith, which is I think how it's normally presented. Specifically, what it was is him choosing the mo- like choosing a moment of her and that momentary feeling of connection that momentary feeling of that connection being so strong and that basically choosing the idea um of her over a physical relationship forward forever in time mm-hmm. and it's very easy to kind of think of that as kind of a negative or selfish choice but that's not really how the movie presents it. It's more to show that there is something beautiful about a closed and unchanging ideal. Um, no matter what happens for the rest of your life, a moment and the beauty of a moment remains unchanged. 
um, that as... And are we supposed to think of the painting that she still has that we see at the beginning of the movie then at that point? Or... Well, the painting, I think, is kind of a physical... Like, it's sort of, and I don't want to say it literally is this, yeah. but it's sort of a physical representation of every piece of meaning from that brief relationship. Because, I mean, it is a relationship that will not continue for the rest of these characters' lives. It's not, they, they don't grow old together. They don't go through the rise and fall of a relationship in all its complexities. Mm-hmm. There is simply this moment, and everything about that moment in time is real and meaningful. And the passage of time and wh- whoever else they meet, whatever, whatever other love they have, it doesn't change the meaning of that moment. And that painting is kind of a physical reminder. It's hermetically sealed in, in a frame. It, it like it kind of exists in its own world, but everything contained in it is still very real and very important for for Marianne. Yeah. What do you think about the actual times where they show her turning around then in the course of this movie and then seeing Eloise in the in the white dress uh, in I guess what's supposed to be an idealized version of her. It's, I mean, it, I mean, it, obviously she's not living a Greek, she's not literally living a Greek myth, but at the same time, I think there is something to the fact that, like, for her, it, 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 you know how you said it's not necessarily because uh, Orpheus was dumb, it's kind of the same thing, like, maybe she's just, it's just a more practical thing, like, given the time and place, like, they're not going to end up together, and that might be the way she would want to remember Eloise. I think it, a, a lot of, especially the second half of the movie, mm-hmm. is Marianne and Heloise coming to terms with that, yeah. because, I mean, again... There is no way this ends with them together. Yeah. Without without watching the movie, we know that. Right. Like, just based on the time, based on who these people are, based on the world they inhabit, there is not an ending that involves them living happily together for the rest of their lives. It's just that wasn't going to happen. So I think those moments of kind of like her looking back, they're ultimately about... I would say Marianne particularly because we're really seeing a lot of it from her perspective. Mm. Um, Marianne coming to terms with the fact that what she will have of Heloise is the ideal of that moment, and that's okay. Well, I know you also wanted to—one thing you said you want to talk about was the the idea of just looking. And uh, and I don't know if that ties into this at all, but, I mean, it it, it was something I thought a lot about and just how uh, you hold on to the memories of people because you don't really have anything else in that time. Uh, What what, what about just that general idea really stuck out to you as you were watching the movie? Yeah, that's not exactly what I meant by it, but I'm I'm definitely still happy to to talk (laughs) about it. So something that kind of is fairly prominent in kind of critical discourse when people talk about um, film Mm-hmm. is the notion of looking and observation hmm. um, and the way different films deal with observation. And it's something that I think a lot of more kind of theoretically trained filmmakers will address a lot. Like kind of generally when you see a moment where a character is watching another through a lens, that is a filmmaker trying to do something conscious, like trying to consciously do something with the notion of watching observation and voyeurism. Hmm. Um, it's something we see a lot in kind of thr- like thrillers, especially kind of ones that are kind of working like the legacy of Hitchcock. With this one specifically, though, I think the su- like looking is being used as a way to explore connection between artist and muse, but in a way to show that it basically in a way that rejects kind of common depictions of the artist muse dynamic, which is something about something being forcefully taken. Well, yeah, and you also have that incredible scene where they go through the different nervous tics they know about each other. Yeah. And, I mean, that I think that's that goes along with what you're saying, where it's like, the, I mean, well, I don't know if that's exactly the point you're going to make about the muse, but, I mean, the muse isn't just sitting there uh, with, with nothing going through their head. No. I mean, it, it kind of connects to it. But it basically, it's like, what it is is we think of the artist as taking something from the muse. That's kind of the, like... The pretty common depiction, especially in kind of representations of the artist and muse as a generally male artist figure and a generally female muse figure. There is something almost predatory about the artist taking something from the muse. And I think this movie is pretty strongly rejecting that dynamic. 
it's the artist and the muse are in a conversation with each other. The artist is observing the muse. The muse is observing the artist. And I think it kind of treats the artistic process as something ultimately much more conversational and ultimately much more of a give and take relationship with that playful and kind of incomprehensible dynamic. And that to me is kind of part of where uh, the subject of looking becomes important because it kind of, in this case, looking means observation because we know for a fact that Marianne is observing Heloise. Like literally that is what she's doing. She is painting her. She has to observe every facet of her. But Heloise is doing the same to Marianne. Mm -hmm. And I think it, and I mean, I'm this particular, I'm kind of coming to from the subject of someone who like, like without getting too deep into it, like someone who makes stuff. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to think of your like yourself when you're writing or really to kind of doing any kind of like creative endeavor as trying to take from something outside of yourself. Um, that there is something out there and you are reaching out and grabbing it. It's something that like I kind of connect back to Kafka, which is something he talked about a lot. But I think there is something ultimately more kind of conversational about that process. And it's, it's, it's weird. And again, it's like so much of this movie is weird, subtle, inscrutable things that are almost kind of frustrating to like explain. But that's exactly as it should be. Right. Um, because so much of making artists. Dynam- yeah. yeah. It's just a beautiful straight, like it's a beautiful, strange, inscrutable, frustrating, but ultimately really satisfying and beautiful film. I just, I, it's one that, I mean, like I said, I saw it two months ago, but it's still lodged in my brain. And I, I guess one thing that I definitely did want to talk about, yeah. and it's, it's kind of a tangent and that I, I kind of briefly mentioned earlier is the cinematography. Well, that's, that's not a tangent. That's one of the most important things in the movie. And you, you, yeah. you just called it beautiful again. I mean, I think, I mean, I don't know. It, it's just, it's just so nice to look at. I, it sounds very simple for a movie that's anything but, but like, I mean, I, I just feel like I could watch it over and over again. And I, I mean, I mean, oftentimes I'm like happy to go back and watch a movie more than one time, but it's normally not movies of this genre. And I, I would be more than happy to just go sit in a theater again for another two hours and watch it again. You know, I actually saw it with a friend of mine who was seeing it for the second time. Okay. Um, and I mean, I told I, so I, I saw it basically w- with a Q and A from Celine Sciamma and and the two lead actresses. And I I had mentioned to my friend that the screening was happening and I could get an extra ticket. And he was like, and I was like, I mean, I know you've seen it already, but would you want to see it again? And just without a second hesitation, he said, Yeah, no, just give me that ticket. <laughs> I, like I need to see this movie again. But yeah, it's. It's not just that it's a gorgeous movie, and it really, really is. But I think Celine Sciamma and Claire Mathon did something really intentional with the way the movie looks. Um, and did, did you see Atlantics? I did. Okay. Between that, between this and Atlantics, I think Claire Mathon is like for me the cinematographer of 2019. Oh, I didn't, I didn't, I did not notice he said that though that she had shot Atlantics. Yeah, no, she shot both, and okay. they're such different styles and I think equally really suggestive and meaningful uses of cam of, of like camera style. Hmm. But I think one, the thing with portrait of a lady on fire specifically, and this is going to sound like I'm shitting on some other movies, but that's really not what I'm trying to do with this. I think that there is a particular look that a lot of movies like this have. And I'm talking kind of doomed queer romances, general period, uh, like a wistful moment in time, there is kind of almost a sun dappled look. Um, and I mean, the, the obvious example I can jump to, cause I think it's like the most represent, like representative of this look is something like call me by your name. Okay. Um, which is a beautiful looking movie, but has this almost kind of nost- like nostalgic, um, heavily glared kind of sun dappled look. It's this remember this moment in time that is now past like 
it's almost kind of like I definitely color. see what you're saying. It has a different feel. I don't, and I, I don't, I, I know that this was shot digitally. I don't know if that makes, if you think that really plays any kind of role in it at all, but I, I did hear an interview. That's not, that's not like why I think yeah. that's, that's not what I'm getting at. The, the word that I had in my head about the look of this movie after like I finished watching mm-hmm. was cream. Like the, it, it felt like the texture of every image in the movie was almost kind of soft and soft and milky which I later realized was almost kind of more of an oil painting look. And we didn't really see a lot of light creating 3D delineation between objects. It almost felt like kind of, there was a definition of space, but objects almost kind of blended into each other in terms of depth. Yeah, like I think, we stuff, were I think at, stuff, it pops a little more for in Call Me By Your Name. And I, I'm not saying that's a better or, or worse, but I, 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 can see the, I can see the distinction now that you're describing it for sure. Like, I think the, the sundoppel look of Call Me By Your Name creates this very sharp kind of delineation of space. Mm-hmm. And I think that as beautiful as that look can be, can be, and as well as many movies have used it, it's kind of become a cliche. Um, and I'm not, I'm not saying call me by your name was cliche for doing that, but I'm saying that look has become a cliche and it's kind of the easy go to for movies like this. And I think that Skiama went in a very different direction and there wasn't an attempt to what one effect of that look is it kind of anachronizes a movie, no matter what the subject is, it almost it, it's a much more modern look. Because it's something photographic. Like, there is something particularly photographic about the way light is captured in kind of a style similar similar to Call Me By Your Name. And kind of using that in a kind of more period setting, it's kind of almost shooting a period film with a modern lens. And that's something that I think Skiyama in general resisted doing with this. This was not, let's make this... Let's make a modern film with modern characters that happens to be set in a like a 1800s as a way of kind of exploring modern issues. There is something very period about this movie in a way we don't normally see. But at the same time, it, it feels different from other period movies also to me. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like it just, I, that was one point I was going to make at some point, and this seems as good as time to any to do it. it just, it's just, I, just to be clear about that really quick, um, it's something Skiyama actually talked about in the Q&A. Oh, okay. Gotcha. That she, like, she very clearly wanted this to be like a movie from this period, like about this period that was like really set and centered in and around this period. And issues endure like that are kind of universal and timeless, but she like very specifically wanted to like, no, this is a movie set and styled in yeah. and dealing with this period. Yeah. And I was going to say, I guess I, I it may be one of the reasons why I felt like I connected. And I, I went on that big ramble at the beginning when I uh, totally mischaracterized what you meant by calling the movie bizarre. But I, that was like, a lot of it, it was, it was the gist of a lot, a lot of what I wanted to talk about with this. And I was trying to, uh, just explain why I felt like this movie resonated with me more than uh, other costume dramas at the time might. And it might have been because those themes, themes felt so modern, even if they were – and the fact is it is kind of sad that some of them are still uh, so relevant today. And maybe that was it, and I could just relate to the characters in that way because there's a moment where Marianne is talking to Eloise about – just asking her about the convent and is a little confused about why she would rather go back there than just like live in the – live like a regular person. And I think Eloise I, – I, cu- I couldn't remember the exact quote when I – I got back to my uh, home and wrote it down, but it was, she said something to the effect in response, like equality is a pleasant thing. And I was like, well, that's like, uh, that's like very, very, uh, crushing because this woman in that time is saying like, yeah, you know, like we have equal rights in the convent, at least we're all equal there. And I'm like, you know, like we're not always, uh, uh, unfortunately like women don't have all the rights they probably should nowadays either and i was like so I, maybe i was just thinking about that in the movie and i was like wow this is like kind of sad that like uh an issue like that still feels that relevant today and maybe it just like really moved me in that moment and maybe that was why i felt so connected to the movie is that like it seems like even though they, these people are very much of this time it, it it doesn't feel that it doesn't feel that remote i guess is how i would put it well, I mean, I think that's fair to say, but I just think the way the movie presents those issues mm-hmm. and the way the movie presents its characters. It's not too heavy handed either. No, it's not too heavy handed, but it's kind of distinctly unmodernist. Yeah. Almost kind of the two obvious examples. Modern audiences can still love Shakespeare and can still love and can still relate to 
kind of the themes and the ideas that kind of center around the, the lives of the characters in his films. Like those ideas endure, even if they're not presented through a distinctly modern lens. Like there are questions of like mobility in the world and autonomy. And I'm not going to go list every theme in every Shakespeare play because that's literally every theme in <laughs> literary existence. Um, but I think like what you're talking about with kind of being able to relate to like the ideas in this film those ideas are fairly timeless. And unfortunately, some like some of them are unfortunately timeless. Right. Like women, like, yes, it's very easy to relate to kind of a lack of mobility women have in the world and a lack of security women often have in the world. It's like, it's easy to kind of relate and be invested in those issues from a 2020 perspective. But those issues were very much there in the 1800s too. Yeah. And I think it's more and – and I think like the way Tsukiyama gets at those issues and I think even the use of a, a convent – like the convent specifically as a representation of that is something very distinctly grounded in the time of this film. Mm-hmm. And I think that like it's a question of how much you want to place yourself outside of your subject. And weirdly enough, which I think actually connects to the ideas of the film, Tsukiyama wasn't really trying to – comment on the issues of the film from above. There was a desire to be in the muck of it. And I think the way we see kind of feminist issues presented in the film, and I think it's a very consciously feminist film, they're very distinctly grounded in what was meaningful in the time period the film is set. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, and, I, and, I, and I like your point about her just like, not necessarily trying to comment on it. It does feel like it's just kind of presented there and the audience is trusted to kind of draw, connect all the dots that we, that we, we've been talking about. And I, and, and I did like that. And I feel like maybe it would have felt a little too uh, inaccessible if it had gone in the other direction and it was just uh, um, trying to blatantly teach me everything. And I, maybe, maybe it was just that I, I appreciated that I was picking up what she was putting down and she didn't have to do any more than that. Um, yeah. There's actually another movie that I kind of want to bring up as a connection for this one. Yeah. It's kind of a weird one, but it's one that's kind of been on my mind lately. Um, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Interesting. I had. Um, I, I, mean, I like that movie. Have you seen it? Yeah, I actually watched okay. it for the first time. I think, or actually, it's probably been two years now. But I mean, I really liked it. I can't say I thought about it in relation to this one. So it's it's weird. It's it's a movie that like. Uh, so full disclosure, I really didn't like it when I was younger. Hmm. I thought. It was like I didn't think it was very interesting. I thought it was boring. I didn't like like Audrey Hepburn's character very much. And in hindsight, I think a lot of that was from being like a very young teenage guy who had a lot of maturing to do when I saw the movie. Um, And I actually I rewatched it. um, I want to say about like a year and a half ago. It's a big deal um, for you to give something a second shot. Specifically, I mean, it had been long enough. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, specifically because Anna Biller, who is a filmmaker who I love a lot, um, went on this Twitter rant about how underappreciated the American genre of the women's film is. And one of the movies she talked about was Breakfast at Tiffany's. Hmm. And it happened to be playing at an L.A. theater like shortly after she went on that rant. So I was like, you know... I, I should give it another chance. Mm-hmm. I'm older. I'm in a different place in my life. Maybe I'll be able to relate to it in a new way. Mm-hmm. And long story short, I absolutely love that movie now. And I think it's a much richer and sadder and more beautiful movie than I realized at the time. But one element of it that I totally, totally missed, and this is something Biller talked about specifically in the context of the movie, is the way the movie uses fashion. And the way the movie uses just the kind of the clothes the characters are wearing as both an expression, but also as kind of a as as kind of a protection, but not in a not in a way that was in any way limiting. Like oh, like like let's have the female characters express themselves through fashion. That's like kind of the only way women are able to blah blah blah. Which is, I think, kind of more how I viewed it as kind of an immature teenage guy. But there is something really mean, like just beautiful and like really meaningful about the way the characters use the clothes they wear in that movie as kind of an expression of something 
very internal and I'm very clumsily getting at this point right now. And I'm very aware of that, but it's something that I kind of saw in portrait of lady on fire too. Like, like the actual clothes the characters are wearing, it almost feels like a language of its own. Hmm. And yeah, I mean, I, I think beyond the fact that the costumes in the movie are gorgeous, which like they really are. Yeah, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, all we have is this green dress. You have to make do with that. And I'm like, well, that's a really nice green dress, though. <laughs> yeah, but but it almost feels like a word, like a, a wordless kind of communication between the characters. Um, and again, this gets to the thing that cannot exactly be put into words, but there is a dynamic to the clothing and the film that I think is just very important to pay attention to when you're watching the movie. Um, and it's something that struck me a lot when I was watching it. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I don't know. I, I didn't have too many thoughts on the clothes, other than like I just, I, I it was it was maybe just more the color of it, which I thought just kind of like uh, contributed to my sensory overload that like uh, made like well, every frame of this film just feel like uh, so much to look at. Uh, but I, I don't. Well, I mean, one one thing to think of with the clothes yeah. is who is dressing who, hmm. and who is kind of. I mean, because basically, like, Marianne is painting Heloise, and there is something conscious in what Heloise has chosen to wear. Which, again, it's it's not like, a, and this means that, but it's it's something that I think does contribute to, like, the dynamic between those characters. And, it, it, again, it's just one more thing that I thought was, like, very strange and compelling and beautiful in the film. Yeah, speaking of the dynamic between the characters, did you have any thoughts just on uh, Naomi Merlin and Adele Hanel? Because, I mean, uh, you, it seems like they're, especially Adele Hanel is like a pretty accomplished French actress that, now that I, I, I now know just by going back and looking at uh, her filmography. But, I mean, are you, uh, I don't, so maybe you're a little bit familiar because you probably have seen more French movies than I have. But, I mean, I, again, like we've we've talked about everything but the acting in this movie almost. And I, and, and, and I do want to give them a bit of a shout out because, I mean, I think there are moments that are just elevated by their performances. I I mentioned the one where they, they, that is maybe like one of the most tense moments of the movie where they, keep they walk up to each other and share all the deep observations and little specific detail op- oriented observations they made about each other and it looks like they're about to kiss and then they don't and the tension is very palpable and at the same time like they're talking about like putting hands on faces and stuff like that you know it's not like it's the most uh it's not the most uh intricate shakespearean dialogue or anything like that they're just like just making simple observations about people and it adds and i think just their performances like that's an example that immediately comes to mind of like, wow, like the performance really elevate what's on the page there. Not that it's poorly written. It's just like, it's, if you're just reading it without actually seeing it acted out, you're not thinking this is the most intense scene in the movie and it may very well be. And so I was just very taken by both performers who I was not familiar with. How did you think they, uh, they contributed to the film? Well, I think part of the reason why I didn't really bring up the actresses is there isn't much more to to say than they're both really fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. But no, um, I, I was, more familiar with uh, Noemi Merlant um, going in. I yeah. I oh sorry with with Adele Hanel. I yeah. totally swapped in my head. I hadn't really seen anything with Noemi Merlant. Adele Hanel I'd seen in a movie called The Unknown Girl, which I didn't especially like very much. But that said, I thought she was fantastic in the movie, mm-hmm. and I kind of left the movie wanting. Well, just kind of wanted to keep my eye on her because I thought that that was a fairly stiff movie that she brought a lot of very internal life to. And yeah, I thought both actresses in this were fantastic. And one of the things that I thought was so compelling, to, like in the dynamic between the characters, is the way we kind of see these kind of subtle gestures as a reflection of both what the characters are feeling and what they're both unwilling to say. Like, it's almost kind of, there is so much hidden in the half smiles in this movie. Yes. Because there are moments where you can, you see what the characters are thinking, but you also see them wanting to continue to play with each other. And that's something that felt very genuine. Like the the chemistry between the characters was, well, between the actresses was perfectly handled. 
Sorry, go ahead. Finish. I was just going to say it was intimate without ever being overbearing. Yeah, I like that. I like that you mentioned the smiles because there's the moment where she's smiling when she's posing. And yeah, that's that's a moment that I was I was thinking of. Yeah. Um, so I thought of two moments. I thought of that one, which is it just it's another small moment where just the way she's able to pull off that smile and uh, Marianne's reaction to it. just It tells you a lot about where the characters are in their relationship at that point in the movie and their attraction to each other. But then I also thought about when uh, Marianne plays the piano for Eloise. And I, and I, re, I just said we talked about everything but the performances. We didn't talk about that ending yet, and that's where we're going to end. Yeah. But uh, that some of the most incredible acting I think in the movie is just on Adele Hanel's face the first time she hears music that's not music on an organ in a convent, which is what's going on in the scene where Marianne plays the piano for. And like about 50 things happen on her face over the course of like 15 seconds, and it's pretty incredible. And I think at this uh, – and, and I mean – as I was watching the movie, I th- I had heard again. I learned very little about it going in. I just knew it was uh, some kind of romance between two women, and that was basically all I knew when I went in. But I also heard a bunch of people be like, "That ending, that ending, holy shit, that ending!" And I did nothing else. I'm like, "Wow, did this get overhyped for me a little bit? Am I gonna like just be like let down by this ending?" And then I most certainly wasn't. No, it was just a staggeringly beautiful moment. And. It goes back to a little bit of what I was saying earlier about just, you know, technology obviously has changed our lives a lot, but one way in which it has changed our lives that I really hadn't even thought of that much before seeing this movie was just how you're, you're going to have trouble remembering someone if you don't have anything to remember them by. And that's that was part of what was really sweet about uh, uh, Marianne painting herself in the mirror for Eloise. But also you look at you look at Eloise in that final shot of the movie and it's kind of crushing because Marianne makes the comment like, Oh, uh, she didn't see me. And you, then they, it zooms in on Elise and you're realizing that could not be further from the truth. Uh, she's closing her eyes as she's listening to that orchestra. And she's probably thinking back to that very first scene where we see in the movie where she's playing the piano for Elise. And I mean, it's just like, she's never going to forget that moment. And it's clear the everything on her face is going on in that scene where the piano is being played for at the beginning. Uh, that's she's going to associate that moment with music for like the rest of her life. And she's probably thinking of Marianne every time she hears any kind of modern music. Uh, and I don't know, like I, that, that it was just, my head kept going back to there as I was watching that incredible ending. And that scene earlier in the movie probably just doesn't work as much if a lesser actress is trying to pull off whatever the hell it is she's able to do with her face. Cause like I said, she does like 20 different things with it. No, I think that's totally true. And there's actually another element that I want to add on to that yeah. that I think is really striking about the ending that I think kind of connects to that moment you were mentioning. There is something kind of beautiful in getting to kind of almost experience something for the first time through someone else's eyes. And I mean, Marianne watching Heloise kind of discover this music like early on is a moment of kind of, I think, real beauty and intimacy between them. And part of the ending is on top of kind of the way it recalls like kind of Halloween's memories of everything. It's again, this moment of Marianne watching Halloween's experience kind of the grandness of this music and feeling it fresh for the first time. And kind of us as Marianne getting to experience kind of the newness of, of feeling this music Mm -hmm. through someone else. And there's just something I think really satisfying and incredibly difficult to pull off, but just really human about that. And I think, and this, I I kind of, something I, I wanted to make sure we talked about that I think does relate to this is the way this movie contrasts with another, uh, French movie about two queer women. Um, Blue is the warmest color. Yeah, I've never seen that movie, but I know about the controversy that surrounds it. Yeah, I'm not going to get too much into it. I know it's a movie that a lot of people love, and there are a lot of things worth loving about it. But the things that were shown to be important in this movie and in this depiction of this love between two women and the things that were shown to be important in that movie are very, very different. And I think the fact that Celine Sciamma was the one making those choices and making the choices of what the important stages in this intimacy are. That came through very strongly, and I think it led to a much more honest, respectful, and intimate depiction of love than the fairly, I think, and even the defenders of that movie, over-the-top 
sex fest moments of blue is the warmest color. Yeah, I'm not the first one to make this point, but I mean, there is something to the idea that, I mean, well, and I, and I, and I know about what people are saying, what people have said about how and the controversy around even the shooting of those sex scenes in Boo is the Warmest Color, I know it's been very controversial. And oh, it, it was exploitative. I, th- yeah. I think that no matter like how you read the movie, that is something that I think even its defenders have to come to terms with. Right. And I, and I was well aware of that. And one thing that a lot of people said, the contrast uh, Portrait of a Lady Empire with that is just that it spends a lot more time in the uh, – post-coital moments than it does in actually showing the sex scenes and and there's something to that because i mean if you're trying to watch uh two people fall in love there's uh probably a lot more to be gained from that side of it than the actual sex part of it and it really takes its time in those scenes and shows these how connected these women are this was very much not a movie for people who were like really excited about watching two attractive women have sex on screen like that's that's not what this movie was about it wasn't it was like and I, I think it's something that on some levels Keanu was almost conscious of because the important moments were in many ways things that were much subtler and things like getting to discover something through someone else's eyes, things like kind of the small gestures, things that were much more intimate and personal. And it's it, it's a movie about love and sensuality. It's a movie about intimacy. And it felt like a very respectful way of capturing all of those ideas. One, one, well, one thing I thought, one thing I thought you were maybe going to say when you're before you brought up Blues Enormous Color, when you're talking about uh, something that was related to the music in the movie, was the fact that the movie doesn't have much of a score, and uh, I think a lot of people have praised it for that in some ways. And I, and I, I would say maybe I didn't even notice it that much the first time, and then I was a little more aware of it the second time, and I was wondering what you thought about that choice because I. I'm sure there's more ways that it really helps the film, but one way in which I thought it really helped was that a lot of those musical moments probably stand out even more because of that. But I didn't know uh, if there was, if that was something that really struck you on your viewing or if you even noticed it that much at the time. No, it didn't. I think that's, it, that's definitely part of it. And it do, like, it does make those moments stand out more, but it's also an instance of Skiama not wanting to let the score do the work. Um, which is something that, I mean, there are many, many ways to use a score, but especially in romances, it's very easy to get sucked into letting the music do the work of communicating the intimacy and communicating the romance. And I think this is a much more grounded and genuine depiction of intimacy than we generally see. And I think she wanted to avoid kind of what can at times be an easy out. And that's not to say that if you are making a romance, you should do the same thing and like avoid using music. But I think that it felt like the right choice for this movie. No, I no, I, I definitely agree. Ben, any, any anything else that we didn't touch on yet that you want to talk about before we go? We're right about the hour mark, so I don't want to. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't want to keep the listeners here too much longer. But is there anything else that we didn't touch on yet that you want to get to before we wrap it up? No, I mean, I think we got to the core of it. It's, I mean, just to wrap it up, it's a really beautiful, it's a a frustrating movie in all of the right ways. It's beautiful, it's subtle, it's incredibly well-crafted, it's very, it's incredibly intelligently crafted, and, you know, it's a movie that deserves every last bit of the hype. I, I really wish France had submitted it as their nominee, just because it probably would have helped it get more of an audience yeah but and also it's, france, it's france, not too late to see it now and also france's nominee was just an okay movie i saw it so yeah uh, no sh- sh- shame on them for not doing a better job there um don't don't entirely disagree but like that's that's yeah you're you're, you're not wrong yeah um they 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 kind of screwed up on that one um <laughs> but yeah no but i it's really worth seeing um, Skiyama in general is a filmmaker, I think, who has done some really beautiful stuff and is poised to be one of the big names in French filmmaking for a good long time. Mm-hmm. And I think really what's so incredible about the movie is what it doesn't do. This is a movie that avoids the cliches, that avoids easy manipulation, that avoids all the things we might expect from movies of this type. And it reaches for something a lot more genuine and difficult and frustrating, but ultimately more meaningful. Hmm. No, I agree. Hey, one other thing I forgot to ask you about, and it's funny since you were at a Q&A with the oh, yeah. director and cast, uh, uh, Celine Sayama and Adele Hanel are exes. 
and they uh, they they made this movie together. Did that even come up there? Did did you have any thoughts when you found that out? Um, I I knew it going in. I actually yeah. didn't know they were exes. I thought they were still together. It's it's funny the. So the q and I went to, like, don't get too jealous of it because it was literally one of the worst Q&As I've ever been to. Yeah. Just because the moderator, like, I've actually seen this moderator do other stuff, and he's, like, a really nice guy, and he's really good at what he does, but this is not, the like, the type of movie he normally covers. Gotcha. And he was very out of his depth. Hmm. And he really didn't know how to kind of ask the right questions for this one. And so it, it was it was like one of the most awkward things I've ever sat through. Like another friend of mine who was also there, I talked about it later and he said, you know, I I was ready to leave. I like I was about to walk out five minutes into the QA, but I was sitting in like the third row, so it would have been way too conspicuous. <laughs> um but at one point, uh the moderator did ask about like whether like uh Hanel Hanel and Skiama's familiarity was something that like helped contribute to the intimacy. And I mean, they kind of elliptically talked about it, but it was, it was more just that Hanel trusted Skiyama as an artist, but also trusted her to find the right notes for these characters and to let the actresses develop the right kind of chemistry. Gotcha. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I actually didn't know they were exes. At this. I thought, like, I legitimately until right now, I thought they were still together. Oh, no, yeah. It, it, I think they had, uh, I don't think they're, I don't think they're together anymore. I think it, I, I read about that a couple different places, but I mean, oh, they're obviously, good to know. obviously, I think they, I think it was not long before they actually started filming the movie that they, that they separated, but they're obviously still on uh, good terms. It was just a, it's just kind of a crazy thing that exes, like, uh, collaborated to make a movie this great. Uh, I myself did not have any other thoughts on the movie. I just wanted to get that to you, but I'll just say again, I don't think any anyone still listening that hasn't seen it we didn't really do a separate spoiler section but i just want to say again that like on the off chance that anyone has or they're trying to conv- trying to sell someone else on seeing it i i highly recommend it and i would just say if, if anyone is and i don't want to say i'm like completely averse to costume dramas because i've become a lot more open-minded in the movies i've seen in the last five years or so and i but the, just the fact that i, th- I think it, it feels a little more modern than maybe uh it might it might just look if you're just like looking at marketing or looking at the trailer or something like that and there's just a, there's just a lot of uh emotions and themes in it that i just think are really easy to relate to even in the 21st century and uh i, th- I think a way of saying that it's it's not stuffy no it's not and i mean i mean I, it, it's 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 just not I, I and i think that that has a lot to do with everything that we've talked about and these characters talk about a lot of different things in the movies they again they talked about equality they t- talked about the idea of loneliness which we didn't get into that much as i had intended to but you know it's just it's just a very relatable thing like you know i mean even if like we can't relate to like being sent to a convent and and then having to uh, grapple with what it means to be free after that like the idea of like do you want to like be around other people or do you want to be by yourself and what is it are you really free if you're just like sitting by yourself outside and the 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 fact is like you know it's it it just feels like something that a lot of people can grapple with because oftentimes you do feel like being alone or you do feel like being with someone and you want to have a deep connection with someone and it's just all things that the movie deals with that everyone today still deals with in their day-to-day lives it's just a a very different setting that the movie makes the most of and shoots beautifully so uh just a ton of reasons to go to see this uh ben before we get out of here anything you want to plug anything you've been watching lately or anything personal um i mean nothing really to plug personal i mean like always i'm on letterboxd and update it like once in a blue moon but I guess the thing that I, I want to plug, it's a movie I saw when it played during the like Spirit Awards screening series, and it's going to be coming to streaming, I think, later this month. Hmm. Um, it's a movie called Blow the Man Down. It's very kind of, it's basically very Coen Brothers-esque, except it's set in like Fishing Town, Maine. Huh. And it is incredibly grounded in like that sense of place, heavy on the sea shanties. But it's also a kind of weirdly compelling movie that I think very similarly deals with kind of female spaces and kind of how women create their own ways of helping each other in in male-dominated societies. Uh, Sounds like something like what we just talked about. Yeah, it's it's I mean it's not perfect, but I think it's it's really worth seeing, and it's it's kind of uh, it's a really good genre film with some more I think interesting clever and inventive elements and also like like it's very clear that the the directors are like camera nerds because the cinematography is I think really gorgeous on that one 
but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely one that's like worth keeping an eye out for. It's coming to streaming. I think, uh, March 20th. Is okay. Cool. Uh, I've been plugging stuff more recently. Normally I just like leave that to the guests. So I'm kind of out of stuff cause I've been doing a lot of podcasts recently. So maybe I'll just plug something I haven't seen yet. And it's the movie event of the year for 2020. That's, oh yes. That, that's that's first cow, which I think Ben will be back at some point in the next two months to talk about when, uh, whenever it happens to get to us folks down here in, uh, in the, in the country. I, yeah, I, I wanted to avoid plugging something that like I haven't seen yet, but I am so unbelievably excited for that movie. It's, it's coming out. I think, uh, it's in two be, days, it's going to be the most. It is, it's going to be the most listened to podcast I've ever done. It's going to be the the, the oh, biggest the blockbuster. Bo- of the, the, bo- the biggest bo- box office blockbuster of the year, and everyone should go see it because uh, Kelly Reichert deserves to deserves good things. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it just seems like a, I I just want to. I, I I don't normally hype my own podcast. Our friend Josh Brown will do that for a movie he's eventually going to see. He'll just start plugging it when he hasn't seen it. It's not normally my style, but I guess I'm out of stuff to plug, and it's 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 coming in the next month to a theater near you, hopefully. So you should come see that. And then uh, come listen to us when we eventually talk about it because, uh, yeah, who, who doesn't want to talk about people exploring the Old West in the 1800s? I mean, we've basically on. been talking about doing this episode ever since the movie was announced. It feels so. like we've talked about it for two years. So and it, it's getting close. I don't I, It's getting advertised in my theaters. I don't know when I'm getting it, but I'm going to get it at some point, And I'm very excited. So all of you people should go watch it and support Kelly Reichert. So, uh, Ben, thanks again for joining us for this one. We, again, we will see you at some point in the next month or two to talk about First Cow and maybe a couple other movies that you've uh, brought to my attention so uh looking forward to that thanks to ben for joining me thanks to everyone for listening we will see you next time